Hi everyone, Pastor Michael here, and I want to thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. I want to encourage you to use this resource in addition to, and not in place, of belonging to a local church body as you grow in your faith. If this sermon is a blessing, would you consider giving back to Springs Church? You could do that by giving on the app or by visiting the gift tab on our website at springs.church. I pray this sermon increases your passion for Christ and helps you grow in your walk with God. Great to be back in the house after three days of fasting and prayer this week. For those that got to join us, it was an extremely powerful time in the presence of God. We're grateful for that. Now, I know we've been talking a lot about Mother's Day because it is Mother's Day, and believe it or not, these carnations are not for me, although when I came in, I was thinking, man, somebody really loves me in this place, and they must notice my hair, how it flows, and they're just throwing flowers at me. No, 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 that's not for me. This is for our mothers, which we're going to have a time at the end to acknowledge our mothers and pray for them. But even before we get there, if you are a mother in this house, would you just stand wherever you're at? I want to give you a big round of applause to begin with. Stand up. Thank God for you. Oh, my goodness. What a blessing all of you are. My goodness. Oh, we know that there are other others here that have had a desire to either be a mother and maybe that didn't come to fruition or have lost a child. And we just want you to know that, that we pray for you on a day like today. We know sometimes it can be difficult, but at the same time, God has opened up doors for many spiritual mothers to be in this house, right? There are a lot of young women and young men who need spiritual mothers, and God still has his calling all over your life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, let's get into the Word today, because what I like to do is I like to try to finish out our Genesis series. We've been in a Genesis series going through chapters 1 through 9. We call the Genesis Part 1. And I'm going to close out that series today because we're going to speak out of Genesis chapter 9 together. And I thought, what a great way to do a little bit of a Mother's Day talk, even though it's not a Mother's Day talk, but tie it in with Genesis 9 with a rainbow. Because for some reason when I think of mothers, I think of rainbows sometimes. So, yeah, I know. that. Anyways. But... Let's do this. Let's pray one more time, and then let's get into Genesis chapter 9. I'm going to read verses 1 through 17, and then we'll get into it together. Father, we thank you for your goodness, Lord. God, I just commit today to you. I commit this word to you. Um, Lord, I believe this is your mind, and I believe you have some pretty serious and amazing revelations of truth that you want to impart to us. And I pray even though some of the things we're going to go over today, people are going to say, well, that's a little bit like Christianity 101, or I'm kind of familiar with that. God, would you take away the blinders of familiarity and give us an awe and a wonder again? That as we sang this song, Lord God, let it strike into our hearts the awe and the wonder of what you've done and what the rainbow actually does represent, the sign that it truly does point to, Lord. God, bless our time together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Genesis chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to read verses 1 through 17, and we'll begin there. Genesis 9, 1 through 17 says, Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful, increase in number, and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky, on every creature that moves along the ground, and on all the fish in the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. 
And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from every human being too. I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply in the earth and increase upon it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with them, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you. A covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds. And it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on earth. I want to talk this morning out of Genesis chapter 9 about this idea of a second temptation. A second temptation. Let me ask you a question. What do you think Satan is really after when he tempts a child of God to sin? Or let me rephrase the question. If Jesus Christ has paid for our sins, past, present, and future, we're clean, we're washed, we're absolutely made righteous in his eyes. Why can't I just give in to temptation? Why can't I just give in to sin? And what I want you to do is just hold that thought for a moment. Hold what we were reading out of Genesis chapter 9 just for a second. And I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 4. I want to connect these two passages of scriptures together. Luke chapter 4. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. And then I'm going to jump to verse 9. And we're going to talk about Jesus and the wilderness temptation just for a moment. It says this, verses 1 through 3. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Now jump down to verse 9. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And then watch this again. If... You are the son of God, he said. Throw yourself down from here. See, to truly understand what's going on in Genesis chapter 9, to get what the Bible is actually showing us, we have to look a little bit deeper into, tempt into the temptations of Christ. Because I want you to get this. The temptations of Christ actually act as a template that begins to reveal to us Satan's tactics and what he's after when he's tempting us to sin. Look, look at what he says in the middle of the temptations. In fact, in my Bible, in this passage of scripture, I actually crossed out the title that said the wilderness temptations, and I rewrote it. I, I wrote Satan's gaff, because whether he recognizes it or not, he's beginning to show us his real motives, his real goal into getting one of us to sin. 
what did he say to Jesus? Listen to this. He says it twice. He says this. He says, if you are the son of God. Now, what a serious accusation to make. Right? I, I want you to see this. I want you to get it. He begins to interject this thought of unbelief into the middle of his temptations. Right? So what Satan does is he begins to attach this question where he's asking Jesus, are you really the son of God? Do you really have a father in heaven that truly loves you, that is with you every hour of the day, leading you and directing you, pouring out his resources, pouring out his spirit, pouring out his grace, pouring out his wisdom for you to be able to accomplish the will that he actually has for you? Is that true, Jesus? Or, or has the Father in these 40 days of you fasting and feeling weak and tired pulled his hand away from you? And somehow you're not his son anymore, but you're just a servant. You're just a Messiah. You're just a slave. He begins to attach these questions of doubt to his temptations. And think about how crazy this is. Because Jesus, just a few verses earlier in Luke chapter 3, is literally coming out of the baptismal. He's coming out of the Jordan where John the baptism had baptized him. And as he's coming out of the Jordan, the Bible says what? The heavens begin to open. He sees a dove come down, the Spirit of God that aligns on him. And what happens? He hears an audible voice, an audible voice that says, this, this is my son whom I love, in whom I am well pleased. See, when Satan tempts us, or our flesh begins to pull us away from God, and we sin, there is like this small window of time, this door that begins to open just for this season, where our conscience is wounded and it feels guilty. And it's looking for justice. It's looking for some type of punishment to be able to get our relationship with God back on track. It thinks it's got to get itself back to where it was before. And Satan understands this. And when he sees that opportunity, when he sees our conscience actually wrestling, he always comes in with what I call the second temptation. The first was just to get us to sin and get our conscience moving and feeling guilty. The second is what he's really after. Not the first, the second. And he comes in with the second, and what does he do? He sows a seed of doubt. He sows a seed of doubt. He waits on a perch until we finally do sin. He waits there until something goes wrong or he tempts us to get us to do something that we know has stepped outside of the will of God. And then at that moment, when our conscience begins to struggle, he swoops in. He swoops in. And what does he do? He begins to say things like this. You knew better. You knew better. Look at what you did. You keep making these promises to God, and you keep breaking them. You come up to altar after altar. You ask for forgiveness. You go home, and you make an altar time before the Lord, and you ask for his mercy and his cleansing. But listen to me. This is one too many times. There's no forgiveness left. 
And he starts accusing, right? He starts saying things along the lines of, how could you even be sure? How could you even be certain that you're accepted before the Lord as a son or a daughter? Yeah, you're a slave. Yes, you're a servant. But to think that you have a father in heaven that really loves you, that is actively evolved in your life, that is moving things and obstacles and struggles and trials to be able to make way for the will that he truly has for you? God is getting tired. His patience, his love, it's beginning to wane. He's getting fed up with you. He's getting tired of your struggle. He expected you to overcome this by now. This has been years. Years. He gave you a test to see if you were able to prove yourself worthy to be a son or a daughter, and you have failed. <laughs> you have utterly and completely failed. And listen to me, if he could sink that lie into our hearts deep enough, where we start to truly believe it, he can destroy all of our faith. He could break it all apart. Where, listen to me, apathy begins to settle in in our lives. We become apathetic. We no longer pray, right? We no longer serve God with all the capacities of our hearts. We get to a point where we come into church, we don't even worship anymore. Other people worship, but we don't worship. We don't enter in. We don't press in. We don't seek God like that. The TV begins to go on more and more. The phones begin to come out because we're just entertaining ourselves to try to get through our days. But there's no real fire. There's no real burden. We can't even sense the burden of God anymore because there's a numbness that has come over us through that seed of doubt, that lie that's been implanted into our hearts. So we could turn on the news and we could see sometimes two to three shootings a day in our country. A day. We can see the political divide, the racial animosity, the lostness of the country, and it doesn't move us. We're not broken about it. We feel no burden about it. We've never wept about it because we're numb, because there's a lie that's gotten into our heart. There's a venom from Satan that has gotten to this place where he's begun to introduce something that has caused us to question our real relationship with God, that has put something inside of us that now has created an apathy. We can't be moved by his spirit anymore where his love and his burden compel us in such ways that it leads us into the next season and the calling that he has for our lives. Listen to me, I, I need you to understand something. God's not done with anybody in this house, no matter how old you are. There's people, you might have raised your kids, and I'm gonna be honest, he's got a calling to the mission field for you now, and you don't know it because you can't get that calling just through knowledge. You can't get that calling just through reading. You gotta be moved through the compelling of his spirit. And when this lie gets inside of us, it creates an apathy and a numbness where we can't be moved in those capacities anymore. See, the real goal of the enemy, and I want you to get this, is to disarm the church of its power. He wants to disarm the church of its faith, its place of prayer, its consecration, Unto God. See, Satan could care less 
if we get together every Sunday and sing a few songs, drink a little bit of coffee, and hear a message. He's not even worried. He doesn't even deal with that stuff. He's like, hey, do we need to send some demons over there? Do we need an assignment? It's like, no, that church, that church isn't going to do anything for the kingdom of God. You let them just listen. You let them worship. You let them drink the coffee. They're, they're, they're dead. There's nothing they're going to be able to accomplish. Don't even worry. He's not worried about that. He's not worried about if we get together throughout our weeks to talk about common interests or hobbies. He could care less about that. But you get a church that starts really pressing into God. You get a church that begins to exercise real faith. You get a church that makes the decision that we're going to consecrate our minds and our hearts to the Lord and to the place of prayer. Where now we're going to labor in prayer. Not just coming in and feeling things in prayer. We're going to labor in prayer. And we're going to send missionaries out around the world to be able to share the gospel. Let me tell you something. When a church starts to do that, the enemy always comes and he puts a bullseye on those people. They become the number one enemy to his kingdom and he comes and he attacks. And his attack is exactly the same way that he attacked Jesus. His attack is the same. See, this is why sin, I want you to get this, is so dangerous for believers. It leads to this horrific unbelief where deep down, deep down, you don't truly believe anymore that God loves you, that he's active that he's pouring his spirit out on your life. See, see, you know all those things. In your head knowledge, you know what you're supposed to believe. And we all believe it in some measures. Yeah, God loves me, I'm a child. Oh, we sing it and all these beautiful things. But there's no deep down conviction in the heart. See, when there's a conviction in the heart, I need you to understand something. It causes a place of action to rise up inside of us. We begin to take it for real and we begin to do things for God. And if that's not happening in our lives, we might know it here. But something has caused a traffic jam down here where it's not operating the way it should. That's why sin. I don't want to play with it. I don't want to toy with it. It's not because it can't be forgiven. It's not because I can't come to an altar and be washed and cleansed. It's not because God's blood isn't powerful enough to cover over all of my life with his righteousness. It's because it opens up a gateway to the second temptation of unbelief. And as soon as that settles into my heart, if it gets there long enough, it creates an apathy where I'm no longer engaging in God's will or is calling over my life or what he's actually asked me to do. And we become nothing more than just bumps on a log in the kingdom of God. No real hunger, no real fruit, no real consecration to the Lord. Okay, with all that said, Pastor Michael, how in the world does this now apply to Genesis chapter 9? How in the world do we get from this to Noah getting a rainbow and God saying, I'm going to give you and all creation a promise? Like, where, how does that coincide? How, how does that begin to connect? Well, let me put something up on the screen. Let me show you. Let me put something I wrote in my journal this week. Are you ready? The rainbow is the antidote to the second temptation. It is the antidote to the venom of unbelief that the enemy is trying to sow in our hearts when we sin. Let me try to show you what I mean. 
You can leave it up there because people are still writing it down. Do you know that the word rainbow in the Hebrew in Genesis chapter 9 actually doesn't mean rainbow the way we see it today? It doesn't mean a bow in the sky with beautiful colors with a, a pot of gold at the end of it or, or some type of picture on the front of our Lucky Charm cereal boxes. That's not what, a, according to Genesis chapter 9, that's not the rainbow that God's actually talking about. I know that sounds crazy, but look it up in the Hebrew and you'll find it. In the Hebrew, that word rainbow, I want you to get this, actually means war bow. It means a war bow. It's as if God is saying, listen, when you look up into the heavens and get this, and you see my battle bow, you see my weapon of war, that is a sign to you. That's a sign to you. Now, I know what you're thinking. It's just, I thought the exact same thing. Wait a second, Pastor Michael. You just said that a rainbow was the antidote to the seed of unbelief or whether or not God actually loves me. And now you're telling me when a rainbow shows up in the sky that God looks at that not as like a pretty color type of thing, like a, a bow. He looks at that as, as his weapon of war. No offense. That's not exactly comforting for somebody that's struggling with the love of God. That sounds absolutely opposite to a place of being an antidote. In fact, I think the venom just got worse. And you would be right. You would be right. In fact, when I first read it and I was studying through this and I'm looking through the Hebrew, I'm thinking in my own mind that doesn't look very comforting. Why would this be a sign to Noah and to all creation? What, what? And then I heard part of a sermon from Charles Spurgeon many, many years ago, just part of it. And he said this. He said, when a rainbow appears in the sky, have you ever noticed that it's never pointed down? It's always pointed up. Listen to what he's saying, because this is profound. This is amazing. He's ultimately saying, listen to me, that, that Hebrew word for war bow, that Hebrew word for a battle, for a weapon of war, ready for this? It's not actually pointed at us when it begins to appear. It's appointed away from us, up into the heavens. And that's extremely important. Why? Because it means that God's arrows are not pointed at us, but they're being pointed at somebody else completely. Okay, if not me, then who? Who? Now think this all the way through. Are you guys ready? Watch this. Watch this. Let me ask you a question. When does a rainbow normally appear in the sky? When a sun shower happens, right? Two things have to show up for a rainbow to be able to appear. Number one, you got to have a storm. And number two, you got to have the sun. They have to meet together. The, the storm and the sun, the rain and the sunbeams, the sunlight have to come together. The light and the darkness. Now remember, all of this is a sign according to God. He's saying, I'm showing you something. It's pointing to something. It's revealing something to you. See, when a rainbow shows up, the two things you need is you need a storm and you need to have the sun. You need to have light and darkness become together, right? Now think this all the way through. When Jesus was on the cross, get this, there was a storm that was brewing above his head. Because God is holy, because God is righteous, because God is just, somebody was going to have to die. Somebody was going to have to receive all the wrath for the debt for all of our sins, right? But because God is love and because God is loving, the Father and the Son make the decision to offer up the Son in our place. They make the decision to say, you're going to go there and receive the wrath. You're going to go there and receive every arrow from my battle bow. So what do you see on the cross? You see, listen to me, judgment and mercy, the storm and the sun come together. They come together. 
And on the cross, there is the rainbow. There is the sign that God says to you and me, this is how you can know that I absolutely love you. This is how you can know that I'm still with you, even though you're struggling with sin, even with an honest heart. This is how you can know that I'm not going to leave you, nor am I ever going to forsake you. Because when the storm came on the cross and the light came on the cross, the judgment and the mercies of God, I am giving you a sign. On the cross, the storm of God's holiness and eternal justice met the sun of God's infinite love in Christ. Now, I know you're thinking, Pastor Michael, you're stretching things a little far. You can't really go there. Oh, yeah? Watch this. Revelation chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. Watch what Revelation says. Then I saw another mighty angel. Every commentator agrees that this is Jesus. Every commentator. I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. <laughs> oh my God, think this all the way through. This is God's final revelation of himself. In arid revelation, there'll be words of wisdom, words of knowledge, words of prophecy, but all of that will have error in it. This, this is the last book of the canon of scripture. This is the last thing, even in the order of our Bible, that we're going to read. And what does God want to show us as we finally come to the end and close the book? What is the final picture that he wants us to get? He shows Jesus, his son, with a rainbow above his head. He reminds us, remember on the cross, the storm... Listen to this, the judgment and the son, the love and the mercy of God finally met. See, God knows he could deal with the sin issue in our lives. He's already provided a propitiation. There's blood for that. Now, I'm not talking to people who are playing games with sin. I'm talking to honest hearts who really want God, who have honest struggles. He says, I already provided for that. His issue is not the sin issue anymore. When he closes his book, he's not discussing the sin issue anymore. You know what he's discussing? He says the real problem is the second temptation. The real problem is when you mess up or when you fail or when you fall, I know the enemy is going to be there to sow those seeds of doubts inside of your heart. And the only antidote, and he's giving it as he's closing the book, the only antidote is that you refocus your attention, your mind, and your heart back to the cross, the sign of the rainbow, that you would look at it, that you would meditate on it, that you would worship God for. Do you know the Bible tells us we're not supposed to just love the Lord our God with just our hearts and just our spirits and just our strength. We're supposed to use our minds. God says when you deal with that second temptation, and that begins to get inside of you where you've made a mistake and you feel like you've done it one too many times and the enemy is telling you God is now withholding something from you and the enemy is telling you you should have been over this by now and because you're not over this by now you failed some type of test and God will no longer work with his spirit inside of your life to set you free of those things or to deliver you or lead you or direct you that that is all gone. God is saying what you need to do is you need to refocus your eyes and your attention back onto the sign, the rainbow, the cross itself. 
You need to start opening up the word and finding passages about what Jesus actually did and begin to read through them. Use your mind to meditate on these things. Journal over these things. Reread over these things. Pray over these scriptures. And God says that comes as an antidote that begins to cleanse the place of the heart of that second temptation. Because now, now you have seen my sign and the fact of my covenant of my grace that I am with you. One of the things that I do in my personal life because of my background and some of the things that I've dealt with is I read tons of Puritan writers on the assurance of God and the assurance of Christ. Oh, these guys knew how to write when it dealt with insurance, when it dealt with salvation, when it dealt with what Jesus actually accomplished. And I make it a point every day to read 10 pages in one of those books. I know you think of 10 pages. 10 pages with those guys is like an hour. <laughs> you can't get through those books. You've got to be on your face every other word. You're like, oh my gosh, and you're just on your face. But I, I, I put this, the rainbow, the sign in front of my face constantly to keep from that poison and that unbelief and that apathy of getting back into my heart. See, Springs Church, I believe God is calling this house to a higher level of consecration with him. He's asking us to begin to separate ourselves from the things of this world so that we can focus our minds and our attention on prayer and ministering to him and going out and sharing the gospel. He wants people that know his burden. He wants people that know his anguish. He wants people that have so become so intimate with him. And you can't do it without consecration. But listen to me, as you begin to consecrate your life to the Lord, make no mistake about it, you will fail at times. And the enemy will soup in every single time. And he'll begin to bring the second temptation, this, this poison of, it's not really real. You can't live a life like that, given to God like that. The power of the Spirit can't bring you there. God is upset with you. He was your only way there. And he doesn't want anything to do with you anymore. Or he's waiting back to, for you to prove yourself to him. And after you've done that, maybe then he'll touch your life. He'll come with all of this junk. Because he knows if a church truly consecrates themselves to God. If a church comes out of the things of the world and gives our minds, our hearts, and our attention to the Lord. He knows there's no stopping God's kingdom. The only way he could do it was what he was trying to do to Jesus. If I could just convince him that he's not really a son... If I could just somehow make him just understand, you're just a prophet. You're just a Messiah. You're nothing. Then I could put an apathy over his heart and I could make him numb to his own father. And see, Springs Church, the only way we're going to make it through and we're going to get there is that even when we fail and make mistakes, we look back up and we keep the sign of the rainbow before our face. The sign of the storm and the sign of the sun, the judgment and the mercy of God. And we recognize Jesus did pay it all. I've made some mistakes, but I'm getting up from this place. I'm going to believe the Spirit of God is still there. He has not left me. I'm going to keep praying and believing, keep laying myself out on the promises of God, keep obeying, taking the small steps of obedience I can until I get where God has called me to be.
Worship team, if you come back. Spring Church, could we do this today as we close? Coming out three days of fasting and prayer, there's not a doubt in my mind that the enemy's on the attack. Not a doubt that he's already tempted some of you in this place and you might have made some mistakes and you have failed. It's not a doubt that those temptations aren't coming on later on in this week and the weeks ahead. Not a doubt. But could we do this? Could we fight against that second temptation today? Could we say, no, we're not going to allow our hearts to become apathetic. I've asked for forgiveness of the sin. I've dealt with the sin, but I'm not going to let that unbelief get into my heart. I am making the choice to recognize the sign of the covenant today. I am making the choice to redirect my eyes and my heart, my mind, off of myself and back onto the rainbow. Back onto the one that wears the rainbow above his head. And can we do that? How do we do that today? Well, let's just worship him. Let's just spend some time. Let's, let's go through Revelation song one more time. Lift our hands and just worship. Reset our minds. And then through the week, I'd encourage you. I'd encourage you through the week. Go through your gospels again. Go through the crucifixion and what it was, the things that Jesus was saying, how he wept in the garden for you and me. Go through those stories and ask the Holy Spirit to open up the sign to you one more time and allow that venom to begin to pour out because there's more that God wants to do in this place. Amen? Amen. Amen. Stand with me, Spring Church. Stay with me. Let's do this. Would you lead us, guys, one more time with Revelation song? And then we're going to have our mothers come up. We're going to pray for them. But let's worship together and let's recenter our minds on the sign of the rainbow this morning. Hallelujah, God. Thanks again for listening to our Springs Church podcast. For other exciting content from Springs Church, be sure to visit us online at springs.church. If you'd like to partner financially with Springs Church, you have the opportunity to give by visiting the Give tab of our website, springs.church.